these are heroes. These are the people that should have, you know, Hall of Fame uh, awards for these, for them, for what they're doing for humanity. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Today is January 2nd of 2022. So with that, we are, I'm Eric Planey. And I'm Lucas Fico. And we are the, not really that hungover, Happy New Year, Pirates of Clean Tech. Yar! Yeah, second day hungover, yar, yes. <laughs> Happy New Year, Lucas, and to everybody. I uh, hope everyone had a great holiday season, Lucas. Yeah, just a good time. I don't know what... So many fireworks, people shooting off fireworks at midnight. Like, is, is that a thing? I didn't know that was a thing. We we had a lot of fireworks uh, across the river, so we're lucky to live on the Hudson. And <laughs> over in some small town in New York, uh, like I think Marlboro or Milton, New York, they were shooting a little bit of fireworks. So we went out there, which was pleasant, until some drunken guys at the quote-unquote yacht club behind us on our side of the river, started chanting Yacht Club, otherwise known as a drinking club. Totally. It's like a, a Knights of Columbus Hall with boats. <laughs> VFW. I see half of those boats that go into the water. No, not even half. Two-thirds of them. They go into water in April and they stay there and I never see them leave the dock. <laughs> that's, that's for another day. The wonders of boat ownership. Uh, I, the, it motivates me to never own one, even though we <laughs> You know, before we get into our articles, uh, you know, it, we look back uh, on 2021 and we really had a tremendous year thanks to all of you as our viewers, but also the quality of our guests were fantastic. So one thing that Lucas and I did, we looked back at our records and calculations and uh, our top three podcasts in terms of overall listenership had were really some of our best guests. So we reached out to them. And in no particular order, we asked them to give us a, a little bit of a holiday greeting and a forecast for 2022. So first up, uh, I think probably one of our, by far, one of our top three in terms of overall listenership and distribution was the just incredible Dr. Andy Palmer, uh, who was mm-hmm. former COO of Nissan, former CEO of Aston Martin, and is now a CEO of a uh, switch mobility in the UK, which is taking on electric buses. Uh, so Andy did a great deep dive into the complexity of the C-suite understanding how you make decisions about building electric vehicles when there was a lot of headwinds. It was a great, great informative uh, podcast and we got a great reception from it. So uh, Lucas, any words on this one before we uh, turn it over to Andy for his uh, New Year's greeting to our listeners? No, I'm interested to hear what Andy has to say and maybe we can get him on again. So let's, um, let's roll it. Yeah. Hi, I'm Andy Palmer. I'm Executive Vice Chairman and CEO of Switch Mobility Limited. I'm Founder and CEO of Palmer Automotive. I'm Chairman of Innabat, which is a battery company. And I'm Senior Independent Director of Podpoint, which is a charging company. All in all, it's uh, all of my portfolio is around uh, net carbon zero. And I'm hoping that we're going to make 2022 all about how we drive the industry towards net carbon zero. Everybody, I I wish you a really happy, happy Christmas. We've had uh, an awful year with the the COVID crisis. Let's hope that uh, as we go into 2022, we see the end of the crisis. In the meantime, have a great holiday, have a great Christmas, and I wish you a very happy new year. 
yeah, no, that's exactly what we need to hear. So, you know, Andy is just uh, on top of things. Uh, not only, is, as you heard, he's not just CEO of uh, Switch Mobility, but he's got his hands into several different areas within new generation fuel technology, battery technology for uh, vehicles in the future. So, you know, they have an industry, industry stalwart like that recognize where the future is going and to adapt with it. That's really symbolic of many of what is needed by many people in different industries to adapt to clean tech. So just thank you, Andy. Really appreciate you uh, getting us some kind words for 2022. Yeah, I'm really glad to see 2021 go bye-bye. And yes. let's hope 2022 is a lot better, please. Not starting out so great, but, you know, uh, <laughs> back to, uh, as, as one of my friends said, uh, it's pronounced 2022. Two. Right. As in 2020 as well. And that's the last thing we really want to have happen. So yeah. uh, I suspect that, you know, maybe after a couple bumpy first months, it's going to be hopefully close to normal again. And, you know, we can be sharing time with family and being safe, but we'll see what happens. Let's get into it. All right. We got, we got a lot to talk about. All right. So because it was the holidays and a lot of people spent a lot of time watching movies on the couch, et cetera. Uh, this is actually, I'm showing a YouTube clip of an episode of Nova, the fantastic scientific journalism show on PBS. And if you don't have a subscription to PBS's streaming service, I highly recommend it. Around here, it's a $60 donation to the local PBS station, and you get access to uh, PBS Passport, which is their streaming, much like HBO Max or you know Amazon uh, Prime. This episode of Nova aired in October, and it was called Arctic Drift Preview. Well, Arctic Drift. Uh, on this YouTube link as a preview for it. It was really something that I think in these kind of doldrum January days that it's worth sitting down with your family, with your children, with your parents, with your relatives. And it's a, it's a story of a group of explorers, American scientists who ventured to the Arctic circle, who went into the, not the permanent ice flow, but the periphery, that border between the permanent ice pack and the, uh, the temporary, you know, the one that kind of uh, grows and degrades along with the, uh, change in seasons. And they spent almost a year there exploring the science of the degradation of the ice flows in the Arctic. And what was great about this is there was really a sense of drama associated with this article, uh, with this, uh, this story, you know, what the scientists put themselves through, the conditions they live in for a year to get us this data. These are heroes. These are the people that should have, you know, Hall of Fame uh, awards for these, for them, for what they're doing for humanity. Um, there's a great international sense of cooperation because uh, a Russian supply ship, ship has to make their way to help resupply the, the, the boat. Just really ep- uh, episodic and just really a great episode. I'm a big fan of PBS and Nova because they just bring science to people and they explain it in a way that's very understandable. If you really want to understand what's happening with our climate, these are the types of shows that you should watch and you should watch with your family. So highly recommend it. The largest Arctic expedition ever. We want to understand why the ice is melting. It impacts everything we do. All of the weather that we experience. There's never been data like this. We all have to care. To protect the planet. To protect everyone. What is at stake? Everything. I would say. Arctic Drift on Nova. Okay, so Eric, I haven't seen this yet, so now I definitely want to see it after seeing this really short preview. So, uh, you know, this is an area we definitely need to be looking into. We've been studying Greenland for a long time, for example, 
and it's very hard, like to say, to get good data. So I'm really interested to see uh, what they do here and what they discover. Yep, absolutely. And you know, again, just thanks thanks to these scientists that really put themselves out there. You know, they leave their families for you know sometimes years in places of the world that most of us wouldn't want to travel to. And we <laughs> do it for the cause of humanity. So you know, this is uh, this is really good stuff, and they're certainly. They are role models for so many of us, and especially for our kids. All right. So now we're going to probably the controversy of the holiday week. Uh, when people think Christmas, they think Finland. They think about Yule logs and happy fires. They don't normally think of Finland and happy fires associated with exploding Teslas. So this is off Yahoo News, but we've seen it everywhere from December 30th from Greta Bjornsson. Tesla owner decides to blow up his car with dynamite when faced with a $22,000 repair bill. And uh, this is a YouTube video that most of you have probably seen. You've probably read about it. 5 million people have uh, seen the video. But a young man who purchased a 2013 Tesla, I think a year or so ago, drove it for about 900 miles and noticing that he had error codes, water leaks, all kinds of issues. The biggest issue, of course, was apparently he needed to repair and replace the battery. The cost of that was $22,000, and he just said that is more than what he paid for the car. He wasn't, wasn't worth it. So, And thankfully, this was done safely with trained experts in a quarry. They moved the car into position. They dropped a, a, uh, a mannequin that resembled Elon Musk into the driver's seat, <laughs> and they proceeded to destroy it and blow it up in spectacular fashion. <laughs> now, we can just talk about kind of the cynical or the funny or the humorous part in this, but uh, you know, that's to be debated. Of course, it was very sensational with a small S, but there is something to be said here about cost of ownership that probably needs to be addressed. We have advocated the purchase of used cars, used electric and used hybrids because they are affordable. Normally when Lucas and I have done that on the other part of our Pirates of Clean Tech podcast, we usually talk about one to three-year-old cars, not so much battery degradation, et cetera. When you start going into a six, seven-year-old electric vehicle, probably one that was really part of the first generation, you may have issues with the car. And so, of course, buyer has to certainly be beware, beware of, of what those issues are. But at the same time, it does go a little bit into understanding what is the life cycle of these electric vehicles? What can you do with the battery when the, when the battery is at end of life? And how expensive should that battery be to replace? 22000 for an eight-year-old Tesla does not make a lot of sense. And so, of course, it was his right decision to blow it up in a legal way, and that's what he did. But I think it does lead to greater questions that need to be solved about, you know, what is the definition of longevity of an electric vehicle? What happens when the battery degrades so much that it's, you know, it questions the useful life of the vehicle? We are 100% in on migrating to electric vehicles, but I think we have to start addressing some of these issues now that the first generation of EVs are still in the marketplace and they're hitting that age. Yeah, there's some questionable reporting here that I don't like. So, for instance, they don't say how many miles were on the vehicle. Uh, you know, if there was 300,000 miles on the vehicle, uh, that would have been a really good battery life. And, you know, dividing $22,000 over 300,000 miles uh, would be a really good cost of ownership, right? So they don't give us that information. That's definitely something you need to look at when you buy any car. You look at the mileage. If it's got 300,000 miles on it, you know, you shouldn't expect the battery uh, to be perfect. So that number does seem high, too. I think the quote for my Bolt is $8,000 to replace the battery. 
which is still a lot of money. But again, if it lasts 200,000 miles, well, why not? Well, but don't forget, part of that 22,000 is probably 5,000 related to shipping it from the Gigafactory to Finland, right? So I think that's part of it. Um, The other part, too, is, and your your part is right, like if it's 300,000 miles, we should have had a lot of questions about whether you should buy this car. But again, what kind of legal reporting should there be when you buy a used EV like this that is seven years old? What kind of testing is being done to tell the consumer what the battery life looks like? And these are questions that I think need to be addressed, right? When yeah. you walk into a car dealership now and you buy a used vehicle, you generally know what the mileage on an ICE vehicle is, right? It's not going to stray too much from its originally stated, but range is much different. And so there must be a way in which there should be some consumer protected reporting obligations by the dealership or whoever's selling the vehicle to give that person a sense of what the battery life could be or should be. Yeah. And I, I just think, this is an extreme example, but it's an example worth bringing up because so many people have watched this Tesla get destroyed for better or for worse. Yeah, I mean, I was I was shocked at how little uh, data that even the dealer had on my battery pack. You know, I I've listened to Elon Musk talk about batteries. I've listened to battery people in the battery auto battery industry talk about batteries and the software they're using and the data they're collecting. And also, you know, the software in the car it has no data in it whatsoever. Uh, and they have no way to update it. You know, there's no software pushes, software update pushes. Uh, it just doesn't make any sense to me. You can't collect all. They are collecting all this data. They're not making it available, even to the dealer. They had to replace the whole pack. They couldn't go sell by sell. I mean, that's an easy fix for them. More data on the batteries, more data available to the dealer and the consumer, better software constantly. We need this continuous improvement CICD process on, on these vehicles. It's just unacceptable to me. I agree with all that. Now, don't forget, Tesla also, at least in the United States, and I believe all, everywhere, is a direct sale um, platform. So I really think it's up to the OEM to, to make sure that the consumer is getting the information they need. And yeah. even if it's a used Tesla where Tesla isn't getting that money, it's still to Tesla's benefit because you want to talk yeah. about... Um, you know, what is residual value on a car? If residual values are sinking, like on first generation Model S's, that doesn't help the value of a new Tesla that comes off the assembly. Right. So, right. you know, these are things that, you know, Tesla has to spend the extra money to do, as well as all the other OEMs. I know a, a GM dealership in my area here in Hudson Valley that is, gonna, is effectively being told they're going to be migrating to all electrics in the next several years, but there hasn't been any dealership training. And this was as of a year ago, so we need to change. <laughs> But yeah. there's no dealer training about how to train salespeople, how to sell electric, what to report. Right. And these are important things in order for the consumers to adopt new technology. Yeah. So we're, we're using something quasi-comical as an example of greater conversations that need to be had in EV space. Yeah. Well, you're right. It did spark a conversation. Uh, not the conversation I would have wanted, though. <laughs> well, you know, uh happy holidays from finland right (laughs) all right so well let's go to something more positive on electric vehicles this is from popular science one of the another great publication much like kind of the written version of uh, nova if nova is to what television is popular science is to the written media uh robert stump from december 18th toyota is finally charging head with its electric vehicle plans the company revealed 15 one five ev concepts earlier this week Here's what they look like. Great article. 
we've talked about this in the past that Toyota was kind of sitting on their hands, we think. And the reason they were sitting on their hands probably is they had so much success from the Prius that I suspected that they probably thought the world was migrating into hybrids before full-on electric. But I do think the Elon Musk to the BMWs to the, you know, kind of drove every OEM to start going full-on with battery electric and really to disregard the hybrid, which I think is a shame. I'm a big fan of the hybrid. Uh, but nonetheless, Toyota is playing catch up because when your company is big as Toyota, you can do it fast. And if you look here, um, 15 vehicles, what I love about this is, isn't all just focusing on little SUVs. We've got sports cars, we've got sedans, we've got mm-hmm. some retro cool stuff. Uh, you know, altogether, everything looks a little overly techy for me. I'd like to see some, you know, really kind of bringing design back a little bit. So everything isn't so homogeneous, but Hats off to Toyota. Uh, they're also one of the ones that are going to be introducing solid state, I think, in the next year or so on one of their hybrids. So they're not only just pushing the, you know, the design, they're pushing battery technology, they're pushing solid state. Uh, this speaks only about, I think, Toyota. I think, I don't know if this includes some of their Lexus models. Maybe it does. Yeah. I do see Lexus these, in the background. These, uh, maybe these four in the middle. Yeah. That's definitely yeah. a Lexus. Yeah. yeah, you're right. That's right. So the 15 does include the Lex, uh, Lexus brand as well. You know, Lexus has always been pushing uh, luxury hybrid vehicles for, you know, since the Prius came out. So just a good good article saying that, you know, another one of the great OEMs are getting into the EPEV game. They're going all in. So. Yeah, I mean, I think these look great. My only complaint is kind of a lot of them have this kind of weird angle slant in the front that they keep copying over and over. But anyhow... I, I would think this car designers would be happy with EVs because they're not stuck with the grill, right? They used to have engineers telling them we have to have a grill. You can't take the grill out of there. If it makes the car look ugly, I don't care. That to me, I think was frustrating for designers. So they should be ecstatic now that they get in, in total control of the car. They can do whatever they want. There's only a little bit of airflow. I think that's needed uh, to cool the components. So um, yeah, some of these, like you say, look a little plain, like this box back in the corner. Um, but you know, like these sports car looking ones look fantastic and they do have a large, a larger SUV over here too. So that's good to see. And this is great. This is the future. There it is. Uh, yeah. And I believe Toyota, it's not in this article, but they're collaborating with Subaru on a large, uh, all electric SUV as well. Um, they've done some collaboration in the past. Toyota and Mazda have worked together, uh, in the past. So this is going to permeate through a lot of the, the Japanese smaller OEMs. And, uh, that's a win-win for everybody. Uh, one, this is not in this article, but I also just saw this uh, over the wire over the last couple of days. You know, when we talk about the modern, you know, transition of the auto industry, really happy to see that not just, you know, the Japanese are playing, the Europeans, the Americans, but um, there's going to be 10 battery factories in the United States by 2025. And uh, I don't know if that's including a Toyota one or not, but all the OEMs are putting battery factories in the United States. I think Nissan is as well. Uh, again, it's good for our economy. U.S. is playing catch up and we're doing a great job. Of it. So happy to see that. Yeah, I had seen something too, talking about how we're not going to have a consistent battery recycling process for another, what, almost 20 years. And I think that's mainly because there just aren't batteries out there to recycle. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have to build batteries from raw materials for quite a long time before there's enough out there to recycle into new batteries. That's that's part for the course. Well, you know, where else are they going to come from? Well, our, I think our second episode this season had a you know life cycle on 
And then I think his, their competition is a Redwood, I believe, out of California. So they are working on battery recycling as well. But, um, you know, we're very EV heavy in this podcast today, but that's okay. <laughs> there's a lot, of, a lot of good things happening and it's definitely very viable. Yeah. Cool. So that, that being said, my last article, also going back to Yahoo News, uh, and uh, I actually saw this article on CBS News. Uh, if you scroll down a little bit, this was from, I think, Christmas week. Yep, CBS News, hydrogen-powered ferry to debut in San Francisco by Ben Tracy, Tuesday, December 28th. Uh, once again, we've talked a lot about hydrogen as an alternative self source of propulsion. We haven't focused so much of it on uh, kind of uh, consumer vehicles, but we know for maybe larger commercial vehicles it's an option. But the maritime world is really looking hot and heavy into hydrogen because the economics and the sizing of it makes a lot of sense. And San Francisco, which is the hub of innovation in the United States, is at it once again, doing things for consumers there by actually putting in the service a ferry that is going to be hydrogen fuel cell powered. And how appropriate is it to have a ferry whose only exhaust is warm water uh, actually, you know, operating on the seas, probably almost cleaning the seas if you look at it that way. So um, there's a larger, I think, one of the kind of overnight ferries being developed in Europe. Right now that's hydrogen. And there's a lot of conversation about, um, you know, hydrogen being put on cargo ships and, uh, you know, the ones that do the big container. So uh, credit to the people of San Francisco for demanding this credit for the company sea change. Um, that's the name of the boat uh, for putting the technology together and going forward. Yeah, this is great. The only byproduct of the hydrogen powered engine is hot water, which is fantastic, right? You get, Hydrogen and oxygen, you get water is the output. So this is great. Great to see it. We need to see more of this. Yep. So that's all I've got. Um, you know, good stories, uh, very quick and to the point. But, you know, just uh, I think I focused on two two stories about cars and two stories about boats. <laughs> this is true. You did. All right. I should have, uh, we should have rearranged them so that we your car stories were next to mine. But I have a car story too. This is out of Clean Technica. Uh, this is from, uh, five days ago by Steve Hanley. That would be what the 29th, maybe reports claim Hyundai, not Honda has halted internal combustion development. So this is their R and D that they're working on for engines, presumably, I don't know, four to five years down the line, they have decided that they're not going to create internal combustion engines after four or five years, say approximately. So this is huge. This is huge news. Presumably they would be going all electric, right? Because they do say internal combustion. So so they're not going compressed natural gas. They're not going hydrogen probably either. Um, Well, maybe fuel cell hydrogen. So this is interesting to see. There is a major, major sea change going on. I don't know why Elon Musk hasn't declared victory yet, but he's done it. He's gotten the large OEMs to go all in on electric. Uh, you know, I know Honda already is dropping their combustion racing unit. They dropped their Formula One team and said, we don't make combustion engines anymore. They already did that a year or two ago and they they basically sold the engine to a team. The team had to buy it up and start developing their own engines, which is crazy. So yeah, that's Honda. So a lot of these are going, you know, we just saw Toyota. A lot of them are going all in on EVs. This is huge. I think this is great. Uh, a couple points come to mind on this. Uh, 
First of which is I read a story about maybe three or four years ago saying that in terms of squeezing the lemon as much as you can, that all the global OEMs felt that ICE, internal combustion engine technology, has reached a point where you're just not going to get that much more improvement on mileage versus everything that they've been trying to do. And if you think about it, I have a big honking V8 for my weekend car that averages about 25, 26 miles to the gallon. And it's on a, a 360 horsepower car. That same horsepower 20 years prior probably would have been 10, 12 miles to the gallon. So between direct injection, cylinder deactivation, all these technologies that came about, the OEMs have done just about everything they can. So I think that's, they're kind of almost raising the white flag there. You know, secondly, to that point, it's not that Hyundai is going to quit making ICE or hybrids tomorrow. I think what they're saying is engines developed today are going to get them through another six, seven, eight years, but they're just, you're not going to see more improvement on mileage. Like this is it the improvement on mileage is going to come from better hybrid technology and full-on BEVs. And then the last thing is, again, while all the OEMs are following Elon Musk and going electric, you know, there is a big benefit to them, which is the cost of producing an EV is ultimately going to be significantly lower because there's so many less parts. It requires less labor. So when it's done correctly and at scale, the profit margin could ultimately be higher than conventional ICE equivalent. So, Yep. It's, it's altruistic of them. It's publicity on their point, but it's also profit making on their point. So it's kind of a win, 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 in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, you make a good point on the uh, ICEs also. That's, that's why you notice everything has a turbo now because they're just, they have no other way to get more efficiency. So they got to put, you know, grab efficiency out of the exhaust. So that's why you see turbos everywhere. They're trying to get more power and more, more efficiency out of these out of this technology that, I mean, <laughs> I mean, you could almost say like we've exhausted the limits of ICE and we need to move on to a different technology, right? Were you saying exhaust? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think absolutely. It's a great story. Great story. Pun intended. Okay. I do have a little hit piece here. Uh, as if the utility industry didn't need Yet another black eye. So we already had the issue with the Ohio nuclear plants where there was, I don't know if I can say this, but there was some corruption going on. There was some manipulation of rates. There was some political maneuvering. And now we're seeing the same thing again in Alabama. One of the Alabama power companies is basically paying a lobbyist. And and then to cover it up, they asked the lobbyist not to invoice what they're paying him for. And then he goes around and works with uh, politicians again to try and get favorable terms and favorable rates for the utility. So this is a big no-no. Utilities are um, really <laughs> struggling this year. We had the whole issue with Duke and their their renewable power plan getting rejected by the by the regulators. I mean, I really hope... This year, utilities can have more positive stories, more success stories, kind of like the ones that we saw out of New York where they're delivering two huge transmission lines in New York City so they can get more renewables in New York City. We need more stories like that. So really frustrating to see this. This is out of uh, DonaldWatkins.com. This was published on December 26, 2021 by Donald V. Watkins, uh, individual reporter. So. I think he's associated with AL.com. 
uh, go check this out. We'll give you the link. Um, yeah, I just hope we don't have to see this again. You know, I think there's two types of utilities in the United States, and those are almost like where the auto industry was five years ago. There are those who understand that they have to adapt to renewable grid. They have to do things the right way. They have to be transparent because that's what people are demanding. And then there's the other types of those who just want to cling on to the past, who want to just utilize the cash cows of their existing generation, whether it's clean for the environment or not, and they will do things to hold on to that. Um, you, you know, you brought up Ohio, my home state, and First Energy. What they did was really uh, embarrassing. They were actually paying off politicians, yeah. you know, to to just go with legislation and, you know, backing you know, a rate environment that just didn't, it really hurt the consumer ultimately. Yeah. Um, now, we've had great pieces. You know, we had my buddy Jack at Excel Energy who talked about turning off a coal plant and they're going to save jobs in the town by making it a salt storage facility. So, there are a lot of good things happening at utilities, but this stuff, this behind the scenes, under the table crap needs to stop. And we as consumers and advocates and educated people need to keep an eye and pressure our politicians to be as transparent as possible. You know, pay attention to what your local utilities are doing, pay attention to what your PUCs are doing, and just stay on top of it because they either are going to be with you for transitioning to green or they're going to be a hindrance. Yeah, if you... All they need is for you to do nothing, right? That's right. All right. right. So sorry to bring more bad news. <laughs> We've been avoiding this, talking about the European natural gas situation. To me, this is waging war with energy. That's what this is. So this chart here shows natural gas, natural gas flows from Russia. This is on the Polish-German border going into Western Europe. And you can see the flows have dropped to almost nothing, right? They've gone from, what are they normally, like 77 there? They've gone down to 1.2. Uh, so he's literally, Russia is literally starving Western Europe of natural gas. They depend on uh, Russian gas flows, a lot of them through the Ukraine. So hopefully there's some alarm bells going off in your head. Uh, so this is this is energy warfare, you could call it. They're starving Europe of energy and things are going crazy. The prices are crazy in Europe. This is a real crisis. I know we just sent, we just sent an armada of LNG boats over from the U S over to Europe. They just landed. I think yesterday they started offloading. This is, this is crazy. This is the world we live in. Right. And we, we have to, we have to stand up to tyrants when they do stuff like this. Right. I agree. I think one of the solutions is just to wean the baby off the milk. And <laughs> what I mean by that is let's just get Eastern Europe and Central Europe and Western Europe off gas as soon as possible. And the one way I can think about it is just looking at our house that we live in here. When we bought this house, our main source of heat is a propane system and propane is very expensive this winter, but the house also came with a Mitsubishi mini split system that could really heat the, heat the living room and heat the main areas of our house without us having to turn the gas up. And that's a, what we decided to do this winter is to use our mini split as a heater as opposed to uh, using propane. So the people of Eastern Europe can access, you know, mini split systems when they're doing home remodeling and then they're getting their, uh, you know, they're getting their heat off uh, the grid, but then it's up to the grid to make sure that they're not burning gas 
and you know they're switching to renewable sources of energy as well. So this has to be something where investment in Eastern Europe has to focus on just taking natural gas out of the equation. Take natural gas out of the equation, then you lower the geopolitical impact of Russia and their influence on Europe. Yeah, that's correct. And, and we can do the same here. We import a lot of energy also. And so we're at risk of this happening here in the U.S., probably with another fuel. But yeah, unless we can get energy independent, I mean, you can when you put renewables in the U.S., it increases our energy independence. So we, we aren't at risk of this happening to us either. So, Right. So great article. Uh, you know, people have to be made aware of these things. So, you know, uh, I hope during 2022, all of our listeners really focus on what needs to get done in clean energy, you know, both in the United States and also globally. Um, you know, and it's going to get dicey for sure. If I had to make some predictions for 2022, I mean, that's that's one of the things I would say that, you know, I think we are in the middle transition. I think things are going to get messy. I think something's going to break. Uh, you know, I, th- I think things are, we're going to have to go through a tough, rocky period and we're going to have to push through it uh, in order to get to the real meat of the transition at the end when, when we'll achieve this energy independence and we'll stop burning all these fossil fuels. We're, we, we're only going to get there if we work hard and we push through this middle transition period. So hopefully <laughs> it's almost like I'm hoping for a difficult road because that way I know we're making progress. Like, uh, I don't know. It's kind of <laughs> distorted. No, no, to your point, I will make one prediction and that is, well, it's a two-parter. I don't think the Build Back Better Act is going to pass. And secondly, and more draconian, I don't think the clean energy component of it is going to be separated out and also passed. Yeah. And that's what I think is unfortunate. And really, a lot of what we are hearing in Washington is that the Dems are really going to be pushing to get this stuff passed as much as possible before the November elections, because the, you know, the, the White House party in power always loses its first midterm in Congress, and that's what's going to happen. But unfortunately, the environment is so toxic now, um, you know, because certain quote-unquote Democrat senators from West Virginia, uh, you know, think that they have way more leverage than they really should have. And unfortunately, we're paying the price for that. So my, my, I think uh, we're still going to have a lot of progress, but it's going to come from the, you know, B to C side. You know, the OEMs are going to be making EVs for the consumer taste. Prices are going to drop on battery tech. Cars price, you know, EV prices will start to come down and people are going to be adopting it more and more. But anything that involves the federal government is going to be problematic. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you and I'm not happy about it. But yeah, when they when they cut out certain aspects of a bill and put them in another bill and then pass the bill, that's not a good sign for the things that they cut out, right? right. <laughs> totally right. And you know what? It just goes to show something we've been talking about, you know, as a society, elections matter. And elections matter. And when 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 your platform that you're in favor of wins and they win by a significant majority, it's very hard to dispute that majority. So, you know, if you really believe in clean energy then get to the polls and vote for, you know, clean energy. Yeah. It shouldn't be the only topic you vote for, but, you know, it is something that is really, truly going to save this planet. And we have to address it sooner than later. Yeah. And it still boggles my mind, right? We talk about how is sustainability and clean air and clean water. Those are not partisan issues. So why is the vote on partisan lines? It doesn't make any sense to me. 
doesn't make any sense. You know, like I said, I've talked about this before that there, you know, when, when the Toyota Prius came out, uh, there were a lot of Republicans who liked it because a lot of Republicans were tired of writing a $1 billion check every day to OPEC and having a billion dollar of cash outflows in this country every day for oil importation. Yep. But then it got politicized. And once it got politicized, everyone went into their corner. And, you know, climate cannot afford to be politicized any further. Yeah. So. Agreed. All right. Well, really good episode. You know, we covered uh, good friend Andy Palmer transitioning us into talking about electric vehicles. <laughs> uh, some great exploration taking place. And then a little bit of a geopolitical controversy. <laughs> Just a normal everyday week. Normal everyday week. But uh, (laughs) we forgot to do our disclaimer on the early part of the episode, so I'll say it now. Views and opinions expressed by Lucas and I are solely those of ourselves, not any organizations we are affiliated with. Uh, And please, we are not making any uh, recommendations one way or the other on any of the underlying securities of the companies we talked about. So please talk to a registered investment consultant and do your homework before making any investment decisions. Correct. And you can find us if you want to watch the articles along with us. You can find us on YouTube, search for Pirates of Clean Tech. You click the subscribe button, that helps us out. And then also, if you give us a, a thumbs up, that also helps us out. We're also on your favorite podcast. We're on about a dozen podcast sites. You just go to your favorite podcast site and you search for us. And again, if you could subscribe there, that helps us out. And yeah, we're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Um, those those types of places so yep and uh looking forward to a great 2022 we got some good guests i think uh in the hopper and uh we're going to start now that the holidays are over we'll start going back to having a few guests and uh you know we want everyone to please be safe out there obviously the omicron variant is overtaking a lot of uh geographic parts of the united states right now so please be safe and do what you think is best for you and your family yeah and let us know how much you love your ev when you Go out and buy an EV, let us know. We'd like to hear. Absolutely. So uh, I think with that, I'm Eric Clayton. I am Lucas Finko. And Happy New Year once again from the Pirates of Clean Tech. <laughs> yar, 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 yar.